The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I love to be (laughs) maybe too honest about how I feel and my processes and what the reality of writing is. And yesterday I was meant to be doing so much work and I woke up and I just knew that nothing was going to happen. And I just stayed in bed for the entire day and everyone was like, hi, where's the work? And I just had to be like, it's not coming. It's not coming because some days I just can't do that. Um, And then actually the day was made better by uh, someone in my amazing team over at Simon & Schuster in the US sent me a screen grab because Roxanne Gay, who I have been obsessed with for most of my reading life, said she gave it five stars on Goodreads. Welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Best-selling, award-winning author Candice Carty-Williams spoke to me about the tragic comic nature of being, winning Book of the Year at the British Book Awards, and her latest, People Person. Candice is a TV producer, cultural writer, and author of the international bestseller Queenie, a book that was named a Best Book of the Year by NPR, Time, Parade, The Guardian, and many others. She also became the first black woman to win the Book of the Year Award at the British Book Awards for Queenie in 2020. Her latest novel is People Person, a book described as an insightful novel about the power of family, even when they seem like strangers. The Guardian called it a big-hearted story of a young woman coming to terms with her complicated London family from the author of the game-changing Queenie. Candice created and launched the Guardian Fourth Estate, BAME, short story prize in 2016, the first initiative of its kind in book publishing for underrepresented writers. She's written for The Guardian, ID, Vogue, every iteration of The Sunday Times, and many others. Her original drama, Champion, will be airing on BBC One in the UK and on Netflix globally in 2023. In this file, Candice and I discussed her early career in book marketing and the disparities she saw in publishing, the inciting incident that inspired her latest, how to balance humor and depth in fiction, why tragedy plus time equals comedy, great advice from Toni Morrison, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on, And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. 
And we are rolling once again on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest, I have best-selling and award-winning author, Candice Cardi-Williams. Thank you so much for bearing with my earlier opening. No, that's fine. Thank you. You have such a nice voice that all is forgiven. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, despite my mispronunciation of your last name, although I believe I did pronounce your first name correctly the first time, um, we are on the line and we get to, to pick your brain today about all things writing, this fantastic uh, second novel of yours, and all the things. I mean, you have a lot going on, a lot of balls in the air. You are a TV showrunner, a culture writer, and a best-selling author. And uh, I understand that although your second people person is not available uh, as of yet, will be September 13th, I believe, here in the U.S., but it is already an instant bestseller. Yes, it was in the UK, which was a huge surprise, um, just because I think the second novel is always very tricky. Um, and so I kind of had to make peace quite early on and be like, it's second novel, it's not Queenie, it's not a Queenie sequel. So just be happy that you managed to get it out um, yeah. and enjoy all the good that came. And then when it was a bestseller, I remember I found out when I was on a train um, and I was so shocked and so amazed. It's such an amazing thing. And I'm so grateful to everyone who has bought a copy, obviously. But, you know, it's been a journey and it's so nice when people stick with you as an author. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is interesting. And, I, and we have talked to quite a few authors about that second novel and kind of the anticipation or the anxiety kind of leading up to that moment where you're, you know, you're wondering, um, I think there, you know, talk a little bit about that feeling, you know, prior to the publication. Because I understand as I'm reading the story about how this novel came to be, mm -hmm. um, that you had already written a draft of it yes. like long before Queenie actually hit the charts, right? Yes. Yes, I did. So another author uh, called Kit Duvall, she said, you know, piece of advice, uh, when this book comes out, things are going to go mad. So you want to get your second novel written before that. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to go mad. I think, you know, I've just written like a good novel because I didn't expect anything that happened with Queenie to happen with Queenie. Uh, and so I wrote this novel called People Person and it was about four friends. It was a friendship group and the strong friend and one of them was a people person. And I was editing it in lockdown and I was just like, I'm just not vibing with this thing at all. Hmm. It really wasn't, you know, I'm such an instinctive writer and I'm so interested in like connecting with the work myself. And I think that's why I'm able to write so vastly and write so much because everything that I work on, I know that I'm connecting with so I can give my best to. Um, but this, I was just like, oh, I don't like it. And then one night I spoke to my big sister and I remember, you know, in lockdown, just having, I live by myself. So just spent insane amounts of time on the phone, having inane conversations. And I remember being like, oh, what would happen if, um, cause I have, we, I have, uh, four half siblings. Uh, my dad has, uh, well, from my, from my, from my dad's side. No, that's not true. I just lied. I'm not dimple. I have, <laughs> I have eight half siblings. And my mum has a daughter. So actually I have nine half siblings. Okay, there we go. Oh that's God. the accuracy. That's the, the, that, that's the facts. That's the facts. I've got nine half siblings. And I remember saying to um, my sister, who is one of four siblings with my dad and her mum, I remember saying to her, what would happen if something, if something happened to me? Because I don't have a relationship with all of them. And she was like, oh, well, we'd be there. 
And I was like, no, you wouldn't. She was like, no, trust me, we would be there. And then that kind of sparked something in my mind. And that very night, I remember texting a friend and saying, oh, you see how I hate this novel that I'm editing? Should I just write a new one? And he was like, no, I think you should be a woman of your word. And I think that you should stick with what you're doing. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I just started writing this new one. And uh, I think maybe five hours later, I'd written the first 10,000 words of the new people person that you see before you. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So I understand um, that you were also still working full-time at that uh, juncture. I was working full-time when I wrote the first version of it. Um, And so I was, uh, yeah, I was still working in publishing and I was still having an amazing time um, just because I'm someone who like, I loved to be around books and I obviously still do my house is absolutely heaving with books and I've got a bedside table Mm. that is sort of buckling under the weight of all the things that I'm yet to read um and so yeah I was I I was I was working on publishing but it just got to be too much and I was like in so many different ways um and so I was like I think it's time to kind of just focus on focus on on this 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 piece of work and all the other pieces of work that happened to come afterwards that I probably Mm. (laughs) if I could turn back time would I have taken on so much work probably not but here we are (laughs) interesting interesting yeah so so how are you feeling right now given all the different projects that you've got happening of course you've got a tour coming up yes what's uh what's going through your mind because the reception has been amazing my people person has been called a hilarious romp by over quarterly but uh your peers have come out of the woodwork to say some very nice things raven leilani of course oh my god said people person makes explicit the extremity of inheritance a funny, vibrant exploration of the failures that happen between family, and it asks difficult questions about healing and what we owe blood. And, and of course, that's what you're referencing here, but we're not going to do any spoilers on here. But um, yes. yeah, talk about this novel about, really, I guess what we're talking about is the power of family, even when they seem like strangers. Yes. Also, just to say that yesterday I was having such a bad day. And also, I love to be <laughs> maybe too honest about how I feel and my processes and what the reality of writing is. And (laughs) yesterday I was meant to be doing so much work and I woke up and I just knew that nothing was going to happen. And I just stayed in bed for the entire day and everyone was like, hi, where's the work? And I just had to be like, it's not coming. It's not coming because some days I just can't do that. Um, And then actually the day was made better by uh, someone in my amazing team over at Simon & Schuster in the US sent me a screen grab because Roxanne Gay, who I Mm. have been obsessed with for most of my reading life, said she gave it five stars on Goodreads and she said that she really loved it. And I was like, what? Uh, Because I know that like she's she's really hard to impress and she gave Queenie four stars. And so I was like, wow, wow, (laughs) what what, what will she give the next one? But I, 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 I shared it on Instagram. And oh, I have she... I have a screenshot right in front of me. I can Do read you? It. Oh yeah. my god! Do you want to read it? Do you want to read what she said? I will. I will. Candice Cardi Williams' sophomore novel is a charming delight. Here's a big-hearted <gasps> story about five siblings who find a way to become a family despite the absence of their itinerant father. There are things I could nitpick, but I love this novel. An incredibly satisfying read, and that's <gasps> Roxanne Gay. Can you believe that? And then today, <laughs> amazing. She shared it on Instagram. She shared what I said, and she said. This is the best novel I've read this year. Oh, that's amazing. Can you believe it? I know I was sitting doing some work and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cheering me up. (laughs) 
Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. But so when it comes to the actual novel itself, yes. So the central character is Dimple. She is 30. She is an aspiring influencer. And something happens that I will not spoil. Um, and she doesn't know who to call. She doesn't want to call the police because, you know, as a as a black person, I think the relationship with police is, is not a trusting one at the best of times. Um, and she can't tell her mum. And she doesn't want to involve, she doesn't want to involve her mum. And obviously, you know, where is her dad? And she calls her big sister and is like, hey, this thing has happened. And the next thing she knows, all of her half-siblings are there and they're like, okay, we are gonna sort this out. Um mm. And so through these siblings, so there are five siblings, there is Nikisha, who is the eldest, there is Danny who comes after her, and Danny is biracial, um, because I think it's really important to explore the different ways that different people from different backgrounds are affected by similar things, but also, you know, we're all kind of living in this this world together and are kind of, you know, treated as Black despite, you know, how, whoever your parents are. Um, and then we have Dimple, obviously. And then we have her sister, Lizzie, whose mum is Nigerian, because I was like, I think also interesting to play with different cultures and what it's like when all of these people are put together and they share one thing, but not necessarily everything. And then we have Prince, who is nine years younger than Nikisha and shares a mum with her too. So their dad, Cyril Pennington, he sort of, returned a few years later and um, promised to be a good dad and obviously failed on that. Mm-hmm. And so it's about these five people getting to know each other and also, I guess, mainly trying to get to know their dad and trying to piece together who they are and who their dad is by sort of exchanging stories and being like, oh, did he live with you? 
oh no, did he live with you? No, I thought he lived with you. And so mm-hmm. there's lots of kind of like, who is this man? Because, you know, everyone had a perception of him and everyone's perception was like, oh, I bet he's spending time with, I guess, the other kids or the other mums. Because of course, they have all of these amazing mums who of course have their own friction and who obviously will have told them stories about what their dad did. And so through this kind of incident, this big incident that happens, it means that all of these people could be like, while we try to figure this out, let's try and figure ourselves out. And I had a lot of fun writing them. I had a lot of fun writing those five people. It seems like it it comes out in the work. Absolutely. Um, It's interesting because throughout your work, and I know you've talked about this at length, but you know, you kind of have this, um, this balancing act between humor and depth and, and, you know, this, we've remarked that dark, dark humor seems to be your uh ken but um yeah talk a little bit about kind of the tragic comic nature of your writing kind of how you embrace this idea of that kind of like tragedy plus time equals you know comedy well i think that that so tragic comic is how i would describe myself and my life because i don't really take enough seriously so when bad things happen i tend to not catastrophize but instead sort of laugh uh, because when I was growing up, my nan was always like, well, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, and I really learned that as I grew up and I've learned that as I've gotten older. Um, I mean, yeah, not taking things seriously is, is definitely something that I need to to work on. But it works in terms of fiction because it's kind of like, I guess, I think when I was writing Queenie for sure, I knew that I was going to be dealing with a lot of heavy things and a lot of things that I experienced and women like me experienced, but not everyone would understand. And so I was like, what is the best way to do this? Because I never want to be didactic. And that's even in my friendships. I'm never the friend who is like, do this, do that, do this. I'm always like, let's have a little laugh about it. And then we'll just figure out what you do. I'm never going to tell you what to do, but we're going to work it out. And so I think in telling the story of Queenie, first of all, was like, let's follow the life of this girl for a year and see what she experiences and see if we can relate to her or we can sympathize with her. And so in doing that, I was kind of like, but it also has to be funny because again, it's like in Queenie, you're dealing with so much trauma and it was like, yeah, you got to lift people's spirits a little bit. Um, (laughs) And also like, I just, I don't know, in terms of like myself, when it comes to like heartbreak, which happens (laughs) all the time because uh, I'm just not a very good uh, relationship person and I sort of break my own heart because I overthink. Anytime anything goes wrong, I go to my best friend's house and she's the funniest person that I know. And I'm always fine the next day because we just sit and we laugh about things. Hmm. And so I never, ever like to get too, just just for myself, I never like to get too sort of like heavy and, and in, heavy into the thing. I mean, I'm a very deep thinking. I'm an incredibly emotional person. But I think I always make sure I pull myself out of that. And I want to definitely do that in my work because I think that life is funny and even the bad stuff that is, is hilarious, you know? And I feel very mm-hmm. lucky that I can sort of navigate life like that myself. And it's kind of like, well, let's put this into the work because I also can't imagine how I would write something that isn't sort of containing the essence of my personality. And if like my thing is to kind of laugh at stuff, then that's just going to come out in the work, you know? Absolutely. And what better time in, in history, really, to apply this, uh, this band-aid, so to speak. But mm. congrats on the work. And it's had an incredible reception. Um, talk a little bit about your writing process, because I know that you're 
probably that you've been working on some adaptations. Of course, you have a TV show, so there's some kind of a, a writer's room in, in your <laughs> sphere. But talk a little bit about kind of you know you've you've been a journalist, you've been a you've been in marketing, you've you're you're mm. constantly kind of probably typing on typing on the laptop. But talk a little bit about how you get pages, how you avoid writer's block, kind of how you uh, structure these different these different parts of your brain. Yeah, it's, a, it's one that I guess I'm still uh, working out. I definitely, you know, script writing, I'm working on two TV shows. I'm working on an original drama, which has original music uh, called Champion, that is for BBC One and Netflix, Netflix globally. Um, and I'm working on the adaptation of Queenie. So that's like two kind of, that's I've had to like split my head in two and then in two again if that makes sense and Mm -hmm. then when I work on novels that's an entirely different brain but what I do know about myself is that I always have to lean into my strengths of writing for the best results and if that means one day writing like 10,000 words or writing an entire draft of a script and then being like I need to now walk away from the laptop for like four days to recover then that's what I do and like yesterday was a day that I was like I need to redraft this whole thing, this whole episode, but it's not coming. And just being like, don't punish yourself for that. Just Mm. like do what you need to do. And in my case, it's just like watching loads of music videos and like falling asleep every so often. Um, (laughs) And that's how my brain recovers, you know, because like when I've done like a big writing session for myself, it's usually loads of hours. I don't eat. I only drink water. I don't really take breaks. I'm just completely immersed in the world. And then I come out of it sort of like feeling a bit sick and a bit overwhelmed and a bit wired. And so I'm like, yeah, that's not done a good thing to your head. So like, how do we take our time to be like, okay, we're just going to sort of like regather. And so, yeah, it's a really important um, thing for me to kind of honor how I feel and honor what I can do. And I'm never, you know, I I remember going to see Jason Reynolds, um, an author who I absolutely adore, Uh, do a talk and he said that he wakes up at like five in the morning he goes for a walk he's sat at his desk by seven and he finishes by x time and I was like whoa what is that discipline because I'm usually going to bed at five in the morning you know (laughs) and so yeah that is absolutely not my way of doing things but I think just across the years I've been writing since I was like properly since I was 25 that's eight years now and that's eight that's eight years of me kind of like figuring out what works for me and being like one size does not fit all Toni Morrison, an author who I just, my God, just, you know, the most incredible, the most sensational, the most hyperbolic. Um, she also had really strict writing processes. And I was just like, wow, I should be like Toni Morrison. And that was like a few years ago. And I tried it and I was like, I think I lasted like two days. And I was like, I feel ill. I just, I can't do this. And so, yeah, I think with all writing, all writers should absolutely just go for it and figure out what works for them. And then just honor that and enjoy that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, one size does not fit all. And I think we've proved that out here on the show after uh, 200 plus interviews. Wow, yeah. Yeah, because each one is really different. Each author um, approaches the craft completely differently. And as you said, you know, your 10,000 word sprints and then Mm. having to kind of go into like a hibernation (laughs) phase where you're giving your brain the time to recover, I think is really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'd love to talk about Champion and kind of uh, the work you're doing there because that seems like a little bit different, but mm. maybe not. Talk, just talk a little bit about uh, kind of how this project came to be and, and, and how you, you got your name in lights there on the marquee. Well, uh, what a nice way of saying that. Um, I had written Queenie. It wasn't yet out. Um, and my best friend, the one who's very funny, um, she works at a TV production company called Balloon. And the head of the company had written this script uh, many years ago. And it was a kind of black British music drama. And he kind of written it and he was like, this is what I want to do with it. And then he'd filed it away because he was like, oh, I'm working on other things. And then the time kind of came that he was like, oh, actually, I feel like there is time, you know, it, it's time now for this this kind of show. Um, and he is a white Scottish man. And someone said to him, maybe you're not the best person to write the show. And he very mm. gracefully was like, yeah, no, perhaps you're not. Let's think about who could do that. And so my friend was like, well, well, my friend has written a novel. So, you know, she can, she can put pen to paper. Um, <laughs> and uh, he read Queenie and was like, okay, she can put pen to paper. Um, and I read the first draft of what that show was going to be. And I think I broke his heart when I was like, I would change everything. Um, but he was <laughs> like, oh, okay, fine. Um, and so initially it had been about sort of like a young woman navigating the industry. And I was like, well, look, I think that's great. And I love sort of like neo soul. I love that scene. I love soul music. I love R&B. But also like I have like a very special place in my heart for like UK rap and grime and hip hop. And so I was like, I don't think it should just be one girl. I think it should be a girl and, and, and her brother. And I think they should go head to head in the industry. And everyone was like, mm. oh, actually, okay, so that, that sounds cool. And then I sort of like turned that around for a while. And we sort of storyboarded and we got a script together. And then a few months later, you know, it's TV script writing is a process. Um, but a few months later, BBC One were like, look, we would love to do this. And then I had to pitch it to Netflix. And I think the hard thing about, about all of this stuff is that when you're a writer, you're not, I don't, for me anyway, I'm not naturally a talker. And so the idea of having to be like, hi, here's the hard sell of why you should like work on this is like, <laughs> that's my nightmare. And so they prepped me for it. And I was like, guys, I absolutely hate this. And they were like, yeah, I know, but come on, because you have to do it because, you know, that's the job. And we pitched it to Netflix. And I was driving my car one day and the head of the production company called and we're like, well, Netflix are bloody in. 
and I almost crashed the car. I was like, wow. what? Because that was just a huge thing. Because <laughs> obviously, like, you know, in the time as well that happened, and even in a couple of years before, Netflix had taken over everything. And so it had it was just like, whoa, how has this happened? This is like two amazing things. But we are filming now. Um, and it has been a massive journey. It's been a massive journey. I've learned so much. I've learned more than I've wanted to. Um, but it's been really good just to see how things are made and to kind of understand that, you know, you write these characters and then actually people come in and they can get so attached to these characters that they become them in a really amazing, it's kind of amazing, but also like uh, the other day, I went over to one of the actors and well, I didn't even go over to him. I went over to one of my colleagues, a choreographer, and I was like, I don't think we should do this thing. And then the actor who was so in character turned around and was like, what? And then we had an argument on stage and I was like, hello, remember who you are? And he was like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Because like these people have just kind of embodied, embodied these, these characters that I've written. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. And I think because there's original music, that is a whole other side to it. Um, and also I think sets me in such good set for when Queenie is, is, is going to be made because I've kind of learned all the tricks of the trade now. And I have such a, a good shorthand for being like, this is how you make a TV show. And it's, it's yeah. actually now really helpful to be like, you write a script with the production in mind and you're like, oh, I think it would be a nightmare if I set this outside, let me do it internally, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So your brain is just kind of like taking new things on and, and, and applying them. And that's. I mean, that's very boring, but I think it's cool. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's such a cool story. Um, congrats, too. And it must be a little overwhelming, uh, given that this uh, new novel is, is now kind of demanding some more of your time. But I wanted to ask about, you know, kind of that moment. I think actually even going back to helping to create and launch The Guardian Fourth Estate, um, short story prize, the first inclusive initiative of its kind in book publishing for underrepresented writers, right? Mm -hmm. And going back to that moment and then fast forwarding to the British Book Awards uh, in June 2020, when you mm -hmm. became the first black woman to win the book of the year accolade, those, are, those seem to be somehow intertwined, but talk a little bit about, I don't know, kind of uh, this disruption that's seeming to that we're seemingly undergoing in diversity and publishing and yeah i don't i don't know if you can tie those things together in under three minutes but no i think you know i think it's been a really interesting time when i started that prize i was 23 so i was a baby um but i just recognized that the industry was not where i wanted to be and not where i was proud to be um, because I came into this publishing house that I really respected and was like, wait, hold on a minute. I'm not working on anything where I can see myself. Um, yeah. And there is that amazing Toni Morrison quote about like, if you can't, you know, just like write it or whatever, I'm really bad at remembering quotes, but everyone should know the quote, even though I don't. Basically, I was like, yeah, like this is not, this industry needs that. And I think that to kind of bring it back to what I mean, to start then and to bring it back to now, I think change can only happen when there is someone there to just like notice it and facilitate it. And I was the... Only when I was working at, at Fourth Estate, which was an imprint of HarperCollins, I was the only black person in my imprint and one of very few black people at HarperCollins at all. And I was always treated with respect. I, there was not one day that I felt like an outsider. Um, and when I had this idea and took it to them, they were like, yeah, sure, do your thing. Um, and that was really great because they could have been like, absolutely not. And there were so many structures to not let me do that. But of course, they let me do that, which is an amazing thing. But 
I think that because I was there, I was able to see it. And I think that because we have more people of color, more black people working in publishing houses, and especially in the UK, and being able to disrupt that system, that's why Queenie was able to come about. But even with Queenie, um, I think we met 13 publishers overall, me and my agent. And there were so many people who were like, oh, we just don't know how we publish it because we don't have any black people working here. Or like, oh, it just won't sell because there's no appetite for it. And now that's not the case. Now there are so many people of colour, black people working publishing houses in the UK who are like, no, let's get this to happen. Let's, let's make it work. And so I think that, you know, it's been very slow and steady, but I think that's how we actually build these communities and these spaces and we build change because it's not just going to happen overnight. Um, and as I say, like I needed to be at fourth estate to start that prize and all of these editors of color and salespeople of color and publicity people of color need to be in the publishing houses to keep facilitating this change. And I hope that that has tied the two things together for you neatly. <laughs> I'm so sorry to do that to you, but we really do appreciate your words, your wisdom, your work. No, I love it. People Person is the newest novel. We'll look out for Champion. I'm going to point your home base in the book, of course. You are at CandiceCardiWilliams.com. Please come back and talk with us again in the future. And again, thank you so much. Of course I will. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Wait, oh, I have it right here. Sorry. If there's a book you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. Is that the one? Yes, that is it. Rather than okay. see it, see it, be it, whatever you said it was. <laughs> that, that was somebody else. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Candice. We'll be in touch very soon and, and, and congrats on everything. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. You too.